This episode of the Alley on the Run show is brought to you by Aftershocks. Welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I'm your host, Allie Feller, and every week we hear from inspiring people who lead interesting lives on the run and beyond. And while running is what brings us all together on these episodes, it's about finding out what's going on before and after the run. So join me right here every Thursday to learn about the decisions people have made to get where they are today and how getting sweaty has factored in. My guest today is Rachel Gersten, a New York City-based therapist and owner of Viva Wellness in Brooklyn. Now, in spite of her lifelong battle with chronic pain, Rachel has run more than 150 races, marathons included. Rachel and I spent the first half of this episode talking therapy, why she got into the field, what her job looks like every day, and what people are talking about when they come to her office. Turns out we all have a little anxiety or a lot of anxiety. And Rachel's also here to give us some really great advice about burnout, balance, and what to do when you realize you're not really sure what you want to do with your life. In the second half of the episode, we talk running. Plus, Rachel talks about her struggles with chronic pain and why running has actually helped, despite her doctors telling her she would never run a mile, let alone 26.2 of them consecutively. Now, please join me in welcoming Rachel Gersten to the Alley on the Run show. Rachel, we've been internet friends for what feels like forever. Recently, we got to meet in real life, become real life friends. And now here you are on the Alley on the Run show. Super excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It really does feel like we've been internet and now real life friends for a long time. I know. All right. Well, before we get into all the good, good therapy and running stuff, let's get you to introduce yourself. Can you warm everyone up? Tell us who you are, where you're from, and what you do. My name is Rachel Gersten. I live in New York City on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, to be super specific, and you know, in case anyone wants to come say hello. And I am a licensed therapist and co-founder of a wellness practice and company that is based out of Brooklyn called Viva Wellness. All right, let's talk about what that looks like, because I feel like we live in an age of Instagram and the internet where everyone will call themselves a wellness coach or a wellness expert or whatever that is. So let's talk about what that looks like for you. I know you've done a ton of schooling to get where you are today. So can you talk about therapist, wellness coach? It's more than like you're not sitting around texting people saying, remember to eat your kale and drink your water. Uh, Talk about what a wellness coach does and a therapist and and all that encompasses in a, I know there's no such thing as a typical day, but what are you spending most of your time doing? Yeah. So I, I'm going to try to not be shady. Cause when you said wellness coach, I kind of made a face. Yeah. Um, and this is no shade. <laughs> there are some competent wellness coaches who are well-trained. However, there are not many. So the biggest difference is I went through two years of a graduate program, which was almost like two years of my own personal therapy. They're really mean to you in grad school. You learn a lot, but they're, it's very emotionally taxing. Wait, why? Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are they mean to you? <laughs> oh, it's just, I don't want to say they emotionally destroy you <sighs> because that sounds like I'm being dramatic, but they kind of emotionally destroy you. My now business partner and I officially became friends in a group counseling class which is essentially group therapy with 
two of us, two people at a time rotating through being the facilitators. So you kind of switch off between participant and therapist. And long story short, at one point in that class, we cursed out our TA and I left the class crying. Oh, no. Am I allowed to ask why? Um, she, so the short version of the story, it had been building, like this was quite the dramatic arc, but she had given me feedback that was like, you should share what you're feeling and how you're reacting to other people in the group. And so I did. And then she turned to me and said, this isn't about you, Rachel. (gasps) Oh, no. Yep. Sounds contradictory to me. It really does. Um, So yeah, so that created quite the scene. And then the next class, it was actually me and Jarrell's turn to be facilitator, which means like we can't participate, but we're talking about what happened, which directly affected us. And at one point I quit, like halfway through, I'm like, I'm done. I am now a participant. Here's how I feel. And yeah, so that was grad school. Awesome. (laughs) Love that. Sounds like a journey. Yeah. So despite, you know, the emotional turmoil, we learn a lot about how to work with different people, what strategies are helpful in getting people to tackle various issues they come in with. Um, At the same time, we then do an internship kind of thing um, in grad school where we work with clients. We do a practicum, which is where we work with clients in the in-school counseling center. And then we do 2000 supervised working hours when we graduate. And all of that then allows us to be licensed and prepare us to work with people full time. So that's usually much more extensive than a wellness coach will go through. Um, And we're required to do ongoing training and always learning. And so it's just a much more involved and very specific set of skills to learn how to counsel people through some pretty difficult stuff sometimes. Wow. So did you always know that you wanted to do this? Yeah, kind of. Um, I went into undergrad and wanted to major in psychology and never really changed it. Ironically, it came from my high school psychology teacher was kind of terrible and even at one point called me a train wreck in class. (laughs) I don't remember why Um, because that just seemed unwarranted. It still seems unwarranted. But for some reason, I was still just really interested in it. At first, I thought I wanted to be a marriage and family therapist, which now, no offense to families, I can't imagine. Um, I love working with couples, but I think you get more than a couple people in the room with me, and I'm just like, no. Um, Wait, why? What do you mean? So what ends up happening with like family therapy is often you'll people will bring kids in, and the child is doing anything from all you can imagine. Either they're not doing well in school or they're socially isolated or they're just not themselves. And you're actually not just working with the child, you're working with the parents. And sometimes the parents are more reluctant to accept changes or what they might need to do differently. And it just, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So just not for you. kind of Not thing. for me. Yeah. I give people who can all the credit in the world because I can't even imagine how difficult it is. And when you get the whole family in there at once, there's all kinds of crazy family dynamics happening and you're managing so many people and it's just a lot. Yeah. I mean, I saw that episode of This Is Us where they all went to therapy together. Yeah. So I feel like I totally understand. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, that's actually was pretty, that was pretty accurate. Um, 
Yeah, it's hard. Sometimes couples are hard. I've had people screaming in my office before, but it just feels more manageable with like two adults. I don't know. It's like a, you know, they two against one seems fine. But once you add more people, it just seems like an unfair advantage. Got it. But I then went into nonprofit social services management for a while. My job before we opened Viva Wellness was I was the program director of a mental health shelter. And I thought I wanted to do that. And then it turns out I really did not. And so I kind of came back to something in the middle, private practice, but like in a different way. Got it. Okay, cool. So the majority of your time is spent seeing what type of client? So we see people that we like to say want to live better. So it's people with anxiety, depression, relationship issues, work stuff, feeling stuck, just general, you know, life is hard. Um, So it's people who want to come in and just get support with whatever's going on. We don't provide emergency coverage or crisis counseling. So, you know, if it's something where I go on vacation, I have clients who will come in and say, oh my God, I can't believe we missed last week's session. I have so much to tell you, but they're fine. So it's really just supporting people with, you know, life being a challenge. And sometimes you just need a space to vent. I tell clients all the time, it's 45 minutes to do with whatever you want. We can talk about work. We can talk about the same thing we've been talking about. You can come in and, you know, complain about your significant other. I had a couple clients who ran the New York City Marathon this year. And there were definitely some sessions where we spent 45 minutes talking about the marathon. Love that. Those are my favorite. I love that. That's like paying someone to be your running friend when your other non-running friends are just like sick of hearing you talk about it. Yes. And (laughs) I was super excited to, you know, I'm in my head. I'm trying to check myself to be like, okay, don't push it. You know, if they don't want to talk about this anymore, like stop it. But also in my head, I'm like, this could totally be the session. I will tell you everything I know about the Start Village. Let's talk about this for three hours. Amazing. Uh, So I imagine, you know, you were listing off those things earlier and I was nodding along to a lot of them. The burnout feeling stuck, like so many of us have been there. And I think that a lot of people who listen to this show are in their 20s, many in their 30s and in their 40s. I imagine a lot of the clients you see are probably around that age as well. So without violating HIPAA, Can you talk about some of the most common, and I know you just listed some of them, but some of the most common reasons people are seeking therapy right now? Is it like, I feel like burnout is such a big one right now. Yes, burnout and everyone is anxious. Hmm. We're all anxious. And I think relationship stuff is probably another big one. Um, And that's not just romantic relationships, even though that's definitely something that comes up, but navigating family relationships, um, especially around the holidays. I'm hearing a lot about people's families. (laughs) It's a rough time for a lot of people. But I think the expectation of everything we're supposed to do all day long and be can be really hard. And that's not even just filling your schedule, even though sometimes that can feel overwhelming. But I think it's kind of crazy in that from, you know, the time we first enter school to however long school lasts, like through high school, college, grad school, whatever, you're on a very clear path forward, like this, then this, you finish one thing, then you go to the next thing. And then all of a sudden, you're finished, and you're kind of dumped out into this abyss. And it's like, Oh, I can do whatever I want. I can be whatever I want. I have all the choices, which sounds great in theory. But then it's like, I but I don't know. I don't what do you mean? I, I get to decide what I what I want to be. I don't know what I want to be. 
Am I a good enough friend? Am I a good enough partner? Am I a good enough family member? Who is there to tell me? No one is there to tell you. There's no grades. Nobody hands you like, oh, you got a B plus in girlfriend today or you got a C in sister. Like no one does that. And so people get super anxious because like, how are you supposed to know you're on the quote unquote right path? You don't. Oh, I love this. Okay. Can we like work through this a little bit in terms of I'm, I love talking about anxiety. It's something I deal with. And like you said, everyone's anxious. I remember someone tweeted or something. I remember seeing something go around, going around that was like about how when you're little, remember, and you would say you didn't want to go to school and your parents would say, what's wrong? I have a stomach ache. That's what you say. And someone was saying like, that's anxiety. Like that's Mm -hmm. in little kids. And they're saying I have a tummy ache, but they're anxious. And I don't know how you know, true that is. But I thought that was really interesting. And, and I know that it's so common now. So with people coming to you with various forms of anxiety, how do you start? And how do you sort of navigate that? What a loaded question. No, the first thing I say to people is that we have been so conditioned to be really uncomfortable with feeling certain things good emotions versus bad emotions. So the first thing is that anxiety is normal. You probably have a really good reason to be anxious, especially people who live in New York City and are working full time and are juggling relationships. And, you know, all the people in the world have a good reason to be anxious. So the goal is not to stop feeling anxious because or to judge yourself for it because it's not going to happen. It's like saying, Oh, I shouldn't be anxious. Okay, but you are just like, oh, it shouldn't be raining. Okay, but it is. So now what? So getting people to be more comfortable with the idea of like, it's okay to be anxious. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be frustrated, all of those things. And to sit with it. And so people who obviously come to see me live here. And so I always ask people, the 14th Street subway station on the ACE lines has these little like metal people, right? Like what are they? Are they dwarfs? Are they elves? I don't even know. They're very cute. Yeah. They're little like happy people. Yeah. They're like little munchkin people. (laughs) Um, I actually usually refer to them. I don't know if you ever used to watch Fraggle Rock or like (gasps) know a Fraggle Rock. Wow. Yeah. Great throwback. So the little like dozers, I think they were called people. Wow. They remind me of them. Love that. A lot of my clients are younger than me and they look at me like I have three heads when I say this and I'm like, all right, cool. So you missed this and also I'm old. <laughs> but like those, they have these little creatures and then one of them sits on the bench that people are supposed to sit on. And I think it's so funny because this like metal statue is taking up an entire seat. And I was like, pretend that your feelings are like these little people. They're just sitting next to you. Like they came into your house uninvited and like jumped on the couch and started watching Netflix with you. You don't have to do anything. You can just acknowledge that they're there and be like, okay, this is happening. Now what? It's not a panic situation. It can just be, wow, I'm feeling anxious today. Cool. What do I need? But if you calm yourself down and allow that feeling to be there, you can then shift to, okay, it's here. So now what do I want to do about it? And sometimes the answer is nothing. You just acknowledge that you're anxious and keep it moving. So with something like anxiety, you know, I like to look at things as things that can be solved and conquered and moved past, which for someone with a chronic illness is not really a great outlook, but um, or an accurate one. But I feel you. (laughs) Yeah. So with something like anxiety, is it fair to look at it and say, okay, I have anxiety. I am in 
anxious person, but this is something I can overcome and I will find the tools to overcome my anxiety and I will never have to deal with this again? Or is that not really possible or likely? Yeah, no, anxiety is never leaving. And it's fine. It's that idea that you don't have to get rid of emotions because that's part of life. And it's a cool thing too to look at it in a way that if you're anxious about something, it's probably because it matters. You don't get anxious about stuff you don't care about. So if you want to live a life where you care deeply about something, you're probably going to experience some anxiety. It's just two sides of a coin. And so it's not the goal of trying to get rid of it. It's trying to manage it. So you become better at recognizing it and not panicking when it happens and say, okay, I'm anxious right now. What do I need? And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to immediately like solve whatever's making you anxious, but you can manage it to say, okay, what do I need? I need to take a walk. I need to move my body. I need a time out. I need to lock myself in a room and take a couple deep breaths and cry and scream and do whatever. I need ice cream. That will make me feel better, at least for the 10 minutes that I'm eating ice cream. Like, what do I need to manage it? And then once you're maybe out of the height of the feeling, you can then say, okay, what was making me anxious? Is there a way that I can hopefully not be in that situation again or not be in that situation to the same degree? But it's that idea of the feeling is normal. It makes sense. You're probably anxious for a reason. And so that's a perfectly normal response. And so it's not so much that like, oh, I shouldn't respond this way. It's that, okay, how do I take care of myself when I'm feeling this way? Okay. In the example that you gave earlier where you were talking about people, you know, I love this, that you have step-by-step, you go to middle school, high school, college, maybe grad school, and then, yeah, thrown into this abyss of adulthood, right? It's like, these are the chapters. They're all really close as you're growing up. And then the next chapter is just the rest of your life. Yep. In that case, and I hear this from so many listeners of this show, it's that they aren't sure what they want to do with their careers. Maybe it's because they grew up thinking they wanted to be something. They went to college for that thing. They started doing that thing. And now they're realizing it's either not what they wanted or not what they want to do anymore. And it's so hard to make a total career shift, especially when you're not sure what you want to shift to. With people in those types of situations who come to you, Where do you start and do you have any advice for people who might be in similar situations? Yeah, I feel like people really get stuck in situations like this. It comes up a lot with work is that they're looking for the right answer. And this is the mind blowing thing I tell people who everybody I first say this to looks at me like I'm crazy. There is no right answer. And they're like, what? Yes, there is. And I'm like, no, no, there is no right answer. Because how would you know? So let's say you're currently working as an architect and you're like, this is not for me anymore, but I don't know what else to do. Maybe I want to go back to school to be a physical therapist. That sounds exciting. I like all things that have to do with physical therapy, but I'm not 100% sure. Okay, that makes sense because you haven't been a physical therapist, so you're probably not going to be 100% sure. But let's say you then go to school and you become a physical therapist and you really like it and you work in a really great job for 10 years, but then you're super burnt out and you don't want to do it anymore. Did you make the wrong decision 10 years ago? No. Right. What Yay. If it A plus. Well then, I'm, I'm applauding. You can't <laughs> hear that, but nobody listening can hear that, but I'm applauding. If it lasts 
six years did you make the wrong decision? If no. it lasts, did you make the like you can't know. The only thing you can do in this moment is make the best decision with the information you have. You don't know what six months is, from now is going to look like, six years from now is going to look like, 30 years from now is going to look like. And so you can't base decisions off of that. You can only make a decision with the information you have right now. So you make the best decision you can with what you have, and then you manage whatever comes next. And I think that obviously still requires a lot of effort because you have to you know, gather all the information you have and pro-con lists and all of these cool tools. But at the same time, I think it's very freeing because you're not trying to predict the future anymore. You're just saying, okay, here's what I know now. What can I do knowing what I know now? And then whatever happens later, you deal with that because you can't know that right now. So how do you make a decision based on that? Now, I know there's probably not a concrete answer for this, but I know that for many of us, the risk there is financial, right? That it's hard to make a total career shift when you have bills to pay, when you don't know if you'll get a job. Is there anything you can say that eases that concern of true financial worry? Yeah, I think there's definitely sometimes where I tell people what they don't necessarily want to hear in that some things just aren't doable. Not to say that you can't do it, because of course you can shift things around and make it a top priority, but you have to look at it almost from a perspective too of, you know, how much do you want to do it? So sure, you can do, I heard a quote once that's like, you can do anything you want as long as you're willing to sacrifice everything for it. And I think that's true, but we're not all willing to do that. And so being honest with yourself is really key. You know, I would love to learn Italian. Do I want to give up the other things I'm doing in that free time it would take to learn Italian? No. Can I? No, I need to go to work, right? Like I can't say I'm going to work less hours so I can learn a new language. Like I really like to eat. That would not be feasible for me. I also like having a roof over my head, things like that. So that's part of making the best decision that you can is that okay, so let's say you can't go back to school full time to shift careers. Is there, what's the next step down? Or is there a way you could do that in a couple of years if you saved? Like if you come to a barrier, does the barrier stop you? Or is there a way to work around the barrier? And maybe it stops you and maybe it's just for now. And maybe it's something where you look at it and you say, man, this would take a huge sacrifice and I just can't really do it right now, but I can do the next best thing. All right. I love that. This is already so much good advice. I'm very into it. Uh, I'm also curious. I know that you've said you practice a holistic approach to therapy. I feel like holistic is a good like buzzy word right now. But what does it actually mean both to you and to your patients? So when people come in, you know, their presenting problem might be, I have a lot of work stress. I have poor work-life balance. We don't just talk about that um, because there's a person sitting in front of me. So poor work-life balance and people say, you know, that's a problem I'm dealing with and it's something that's exhausting me. Okay, that's probably true. Work, if you're spending 10 hours a day at work, you're probably really tired. But also, are you taking care of yourself? Are you eating enough? You know, people say they're exhausted throughout the day, for example. That could mean you are feeling depressed. It could mean you're feeling anxious, but it could also mean that you're not eating enough, you're not moving enough, or you're not sleeping enough. 
It could mean that you need to see a primary care physician because there might be a thyroid, something going on. And so it's looking at it from a whole person lens rather than just saying, oh, I'm a therapist and this person came to me to work on work-life balance. Like, okay, but people don't operate in a bubble. So how do we just talk about somebody's mental health without also talking about like, hey, are you taking care of yourself? You know, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you need a nap? Like all of those things are super important, especially when dealing with mental health concerns. Because if you're anxious, but you're also exhausted all day long, like you don't have the energy to manage your anxiety, you need to go to bed first. So let's say that I'm a new client, right? That I am kind of feeling like I'm a little anxious. You know, I've got a new baby at home. Well, I shouldn't say that. I've got a 14 month old at home. I guess I can't say new baby anymore. Uh, you know, I'm stressed. I, I feel a little bit stuck. I just kind of feel like I need someone to talk to. So I find your website. I make an appointment. I get to Brooklyn. I walk in your door. What is that going to feel like for me? And what happens next? So first, we are in a very non-traditional space. So we're based, all of our offices are based out of a WeWork. And the reason we did that is to have a very communal chill feel like you're not going to in down this dark hallway to this room with no windows and nothing on the wall it's kind of feels like going to the gym right it's just something you can do on your lunch hour it doesn't have to be very serious and stuffy so I think that's different is that I kind of just say like hey how are you sometimes I make a joke about the weather or whatever happens to be going on that day um Often I'll, you know, ask them how their day is going, you know, if they, if anything exciting happened so far, depending on what time they're seeing me. When I then get into the room with them, I give the spiel that this is their 45 minutes to do with whatever they want to do. So we can talk about the same thing each week or each session, which I have clients who we do that. You can come in and just tell me what's going on. You can talk about whatever you think of in that exact moment. I had someone once come in and say, I've just had a really busy, crazy day. Can I just sit in silence for 10 minutes? I was like, yeah, I can answer some emails. Let me know when you're ready. <laughs> I love that. Like, cool. All right, we can do this. So it's literally whatever it, this time it's for them. It's whatever they need it to be. And I don't have an agenda. I want to talk about whatever they want to talk about. I want to help them in whatever way they want to be helped. We tailor therapy to the person. There's no right way to do therapy. It depends on what that person needs. Some people really like homework where I'm like, hey, do this thing. Try this, you know, in between times I see you. And there's other people who are like, no, don't do that. I don't like that. And so, okay, it's whatever works. And so that's kind of the feel that we try to create is that it's just a very laid back, like you're talking to another person. I'm a supportive person that I want to see you do well. And however we get there is totally up to you and totally fine with me. All right. Do you watch A Million Little Things? Yes, I'm obsessed. Okay. Can we talk about Maggie? I feel like Maggie yeah. is a shit therapist, if I'm being honest. Like, and I love Maggie, but I feel like she's really not a great therapist. Can we talk about Maggie a little bit? What's your yeah, take? Yeah, I, I have issues. Um, <laughs> I have issues. And I think this is like a rant, you know, do we have another three hours? But <laughs> there's, there's so much of that being portrayed all over the place where it's very much like, 
oh, you know, this is therapy and they it's, they write on a pad and they're she I forget what episode it was, but she like very much gave her personally loaded opinion to Rome. I think she it was always does like yeah, Maggie. And I'm like, it doesn't matter what you think about this. Like, it makes me crazy where it's like, oh, you know, I think this is like a really toxic relationship. Well, it doesn't matter what you think. (laughs) Well, actually, that's interesting to me, right? Because as a therapist, you obviously haven't experienced firsthand everything that all of your patients are going through, right? Is it, I don't know if easier or harder is the right phrasing, but I am curious as to how you guide someone, advise them, work through what they're going through. If it's something like, is it easier if you've been through it because you can relate? Is it easier to be totally objective and be like, I've never experienced anything like that? Or or does it matter? Does you know, for a therapist, are you able to totally be objective no matter what? How does that work for you? Yeah, I think I I think I'm pretty good at it up to a point, you know, because obviously no one can be entirely objective. There are definitely points with clients where I have a very strong opinion on what I think they should do, (laughs) but it doesn't matter. It's like separating that personal from objective in the sense of like, I can personally feel that the decision someone is making or the relationship someone is in is bad and that their significant other is a demon. However, that's me and that's my perspective based on my life experiences and what I've been through. They can choose to be okay with whatever is going on. And I'm not there to give my opinion. I can, you know, on the train ride home be like, Oh my God, I can't believe this person is staying with this. Like I just want them to leave immediately this job or relationship or whatever. But that's not up to me to tell someone what does and does not work for them. I can, talk through a situation with them and ask them questions to have them think about things in a different way to maybe really reflect on whether it is working for them or if the ends justify the means in a difficult situation. But like my opinion doesn't matter. And I think that's hard. You know, there's sometimes where I have said something and I then kind of think about it and I'm like, oh, did I just say that because I was really excited to say that or because like this is actually helpful? Um, And so it's hard. It's something you have to always be aware of because, of course, we go in with our own biases and opinions and things like that. There are definitely points where I've had clients who have sports related injuries and are telling me, you know, and I have, have a lot of experience with managing body injuries and pain and all of this. And I want to jump in so badly, but then I'm like, nope, you have to chill. If this person wants to go see this specialist for this thing, even though you know that it's been a horrible experience, like you have to let them. (laughs) And so it's hard. That's interesting though. Cause like for me, I mean, and I obviously get it and totally, totally respect it. But like from my perspective, all I want in life is for someone to tell me what to do all the time. So like (laughs) when I go to therapy and yeah, they do the same thing. They're like, okay, well, let's work through this. I'm like, tell me what to do. Like, just tell me, you know, the answer. But yeah, it's like my journey or whatever. So I respect it. I think it's great. And it's good to learn those tools. Um, But it is funny that like, I would love it if someone just blurted out, like, here's exactly what to do. This is the right answer. I'd be like, yes, A plus in learning. Because see, again, I like grades and all that. So yes, I there are definitely times where and this is probably my favorite thing where it's helpful to react as a person to someone because especially people who have difficulty really owning and validating their own feelings. And you know, are the people who come in and tell you this crazy story and they're like, is that weird? 
like that's not okay right and meanwhile in my head I'm like my mind is exploding because I'm like oh my god what how is this happening and sometimes I will react that way on purpose to be like yeah actually this is crazy Mm. it's okay that you think this it is crazy this is unacceptable this person should not be doing this to you that's madness and they're like oh wow really I'm like yes yeah, I mean, sometimes you do just need that like outside voice to kind of get you on the right path. And yeah, you know, life is hard. I think we can summarize everything. It's just like, man, life is hard. Life is hard. It's that time. Time for a quick break for a word from our sponsor, Aftershocks. Every week I talk about all the reasons Aftershocks makes the best wireless headphones for runners. And this week I am making a grand declaration. If you are going to run with music or while listening to podcasts, the only headphones you should be wearing are Aftershocks headphones. There it is. That's my declaration. Now, this isn't just about the comfortability or the sound quality or the user friendliness. Yes, Aftershocks has all those things, but this is simply about safety. In these cold, dark winter months, so many of us are running outside in the morning and the evening, and yet it's dark. It's dark at 7 a.m., it's dark at 4 p.m., so regardless of what time you get out there, it's probably dark. And if you have something shoved in your ears or you're wearing something dubbed noise-canceling, you are compromising your safety and the safety of those around you. I know this sounds serious, and that's because it is. (laughs) I'm like up here on a high horse, but... The beauty of Aftershocks headphones is that they rest comfortably outside your ears instead of inside them. The idea is that you can tune in to your music, your podcasts, your audiobooks without tuning out. You need to be able to hear your surroundings, cars, cyclists, pedestrians, raccoons, all of it. Gone are the days of saying, I'll just put one headphone in so I can hear stuff. Just get yourself a pair of Aftershocks wireless headphones. Be safe, be smart, and be frugal about it. Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com and you'll get $50 off your wireless headphone endurance bundle, which includes your headphones, a water bottle, a shoe bag, and so much more. That's ontherun.aftershocks.com for $50 off. Now let's get back to Rachel Gersten. All right. Well, you briefly touched on the chronic pain and managing injuries and all that. So I think that's a good time for us to transfer into all of the running talk. I want to talk about your running story. You you just ran your 150th New York Roadrunners race. Is that right? My 150th race overall will be New Year's Eve at the Midnight Run. Oh, I love it. 150. That is amazing. All right. So let's talk a bit about your running story, in particular, the fact that your doctors have told you that running was not something you would be able to do. So can you talk a bit about why and uh, how you've proved them wrong? Yeah. So many people have told me I should not run. Um, so the long, the short version of what is a very long convoluted story is that since I was 14, I've had pain issues. Um, the official diagnosis is it started in my left knee. It spread to both knees was patellofemoral syndrome, which for people who don't know the super scientific technical terms, it's runner's knee. It's patella tracking syndrome. So like my kneecaps don't align and they don't track. So this started, um, like I said, when over half my life ago, and it has been a thing that has led to, I've seen probably every type of medical professional that even makes sense. And the recent physician that I started going to his practice, um, 
for now injections that I get to manage it once told me it was like the worst version of it he's ever seen. And part of me was like a little proud. I'm like, all right, well, if I have to deal with this, like at least I've won something, right? <laughs> like good for me, I win. Um, but it manifests itself. Like now I get injections that are essentially cartilage replacement because when your knees don't align, it rubs the cartilage away. And for a while, that was a huge problem. Um, that's mostly under control. But for people who remember the song that I don't even know when we learned the song, but like the shin bones connected to the ankle bone, I'm not going to sing. You're welcome, everyone listening. I will not sing for you. Well, Miley Cyrus does a great version of that song. So oh, if you ever watch, if you ever, oh, Hannah the Bones song from Hannah Montana. I hope at least one person listening knows what I'm talking about and will DM me and validate this. But um, yeah, Hannah Montana sang the song about the bones. It was a little different, but fantastic. Anyway, I'm continue. going to go look for this immediately. I hope you do. Uh, yeah. But because everything's connected, so it also kind of pulls everything else out of alignment. So essentially how this manifests itself now is that sometimes apropos of nothing, I will have things tighten that don't want to loosen. So that might mean it's something in my hip, my glute, um, calves, shin muscles, IT band. And sometimes I can pinpoint like what happened and sometimes it's, really like who knows what just occurred and then it becomes kind of like a really not fun puzzle where it's like okay which specific part is this coming from does it need ice does it need heat does it need foam rolling for an hour does it need stretching do I need to just sit in a corner and cry like what is happening and there are times where it won't loosen until it's good and ready to like I'll do the same thing for days and nothing and then all of a sudden one magical day it's like oh great this worked and you never know when it's going to be done and you never know when it's going to pop up. And yeah, that's, that's now. So why running? So I, to go way back, I used to be in martial arts for 10 years. I taught classes. I earned five black belts. I was always an athlete and I always really loved that idea of I'm going to push myself to this goal. Um, it was the best. And so I'm, when I moved to New York city, I stopped training and kind of did, I don't want to say like the regular workouts, because obviously if that's what you like, like that's awesome. But for me, it just felt like regular workouts that was like, you know, going to spinning, going to yoga, going to Pilates. And it never really felt right. Um, and I would watch my mom's also a runner. And so I watched her finish the New York City Marathon in 2009 and a bunch of other races. And I always was at the finish line being like, oh, my God, I want to do this. Like, this is amazing. Even spectating the marathon was like the best day. And but I was always told you can't run like you'll absolutely destroy yourself. You'll destroy your knees. Don't run. You'll explode. But I had a really bad pain flare after. So when I started getting the injections, it came out of nowhere and it was so bad it felt like people were sticking knives in my kneecaps and I couldn't even sit at a restaurant. And so I found a good medical practice. I started getting the injections. And then I want to say maybe a little less than a year later, I had another pain flare that again seemed to come out of nowhere. Like I was doing all the right things. I was staying away from different activities and it, this is still happening. And I was in a really dark place because I'm like, I'm in my 20s and I can't sit at happy hour with friends. Like, what is the rest of my life going to be? And if this is what it is, like, is this even something I want to live? Um, and then I kind of had the thought of, 
well, you know what? Screw it. This is what this is. Um, I'm told I can't do this, but I'm in pain anyway. So I'm going to do what I want. And I'm going to train for a half marathon. And the first training cycle was rough, but I finished my first half marathon and my life was changed. It was the best decision I've ever made to this day. What was the change? I think just something was missing. Like that idea of being like, I'm in control of my body. I can accomplish something. And that was always something that I loved was just like pushing myself further to achieve something. You know, I don't want to say that other exercises don't have a point, but for me, it didn't. I need to work towards a goal. And I wasn't working towards a goal. And as soon as I got that back, it was just like, yeah, okay, this is who you are. Like, this makes sense. You should have always been doing this. So I'm sure this is the obvious question, but as you're training and as you're running, didn't it hurt? Oh, yes. Um, It hurts often. So I put a disclaimer on this to say that, you know, my body is weird. Other people should probably not be running when it hurts. But my thing is, if I only ran when it didn't hurt, I would never run. I saw somebody recently, a physical therapist over the summer, and he was like, you know, don't run. You know, if you hit a level four of pain, don't run. And I like kind of gave him a look and I'm like, I'm in a level four sitting at my office. Sometimes. Yeah, that's like, baseline. What? Yeah. I'm like, what? Like, I don't know. So, yeah. And a lot of times it doesn't. Um, And my big gauge for things of like, I always do the, okay, is this my stuff or is this an actual injury is whether or not it feels better the more I move. And usually it feels better the more I move like 99% of the time. But yeah, there's definitely days. So like today I've had this thing, you know, around my left glute, hip, hamstring, somewhere in there. And I, for people who have not been to Central Park, there are railings like around grassy areas that are supposed to be for keeping people out of the grassy areas or decoration or whatever. And I needed to get to this area to get, you know, my leg from not falling asleep while I was running this morning. And so I like kind of straddled this railing and put my leg on top of it, like look like I failed hurdling was kind of the position. And there are these people walking by and I look like I've either gotten very lost or that I'm trying to escape from the park in some weird way. And I'm just like, hey, like, how's it going? Um, But yeah, there's definitely times where I have to push through a lot of pain. I don't want to say a lot, but a good amount of pain depending on the day. But I think it's important, again, I know you touched on it. I think it's important, too, to note that you're not running through an injury. You're running through what your body is and how it's built, right? So yeah, I, I just feel like it's so important to be like, everyone listening, it's different than, hey, I think I have a stress fracture. I'll keep running versus, hey, right. my body is literally structured a little bit differently and I'm not letting it stop me kind of thing. So um Talk to me about the, you know, when you said, hey, this is just how it is, but I, I'm going to live with this. Was there a, was that like a day where something happened and you made that shift? Was it gradual? How did you get to that point? Kind of just one day. Um, I got really fed up. I remember it was a particular night. I, we, somebody won like a free open bar happy hour that you go to if you live in New York City and you're in your 20s. Yeah. And Turtle I, Bay, what's up? Yeah, it was at Turtle Bay. <laughs> 
Oh my God, that's amazing that that's your go-to. Amazing. That's, that's the bar you say. It was, it was that or McFadden's, right? Yes, it was 100% a Turtle Bay. And yes, it was free, open bar for two hours. That's what you do. Everyone in the group at some point won one. It, yep. yep. It's a rite of passage. But I remember that happy hour as basically being like, I can't even sit here. Screw it. Um, and I had thought about it for a while of like, I want to run. And I was just like, okay, I'm running. That's it. Like I'm running a half marathon. And that was a decision, but the process, you know, that makes it seem as if like one day I just like conquered all the emotional stuff that comes along with it. Like I still have not conquered all the emotional stuff that comes along with it. There are definitely days where I get really frustrated and really down on like the why me, you know, I look at people who have no desire to move or to exercise or to be athletic and I'm like, okay, how come they don't have this problem? Like what, what is happening? Why me? And it can be really emotionally draining. I read an article in the Players' Tribune, which is a website where athletes share their stories in case people aren't familiar, that it was a volleyball player who, and I forget her name, that's awful of me that I refer, I refer to her all the time and I forget her name, but she manages um, something that causes chronic pain and essentially says that there's so many calculations throughout the day, both in running and in life, that on a good day, feel like second nature, you know, oh, like anytime I go to a new restaurant, I Google the photos of the interior to make sure there's a chair I can sit on. You uh-huh. know, I'm making sure that I'm not standing for too long before a long run, things like that. But if I'm tired or exhausted or just it feels overwhelming because I'm in the middle of a pretty big flare, it's just exhausting. Um, and then I'm not so great to be around. Um, it's not pretty. I feel bad for my husband sometimes. (laughs) So do you have, based on what you've been through and what you're still going through, do you have any advice for people who might be in a similar situation? Yes. So my first is that you can absolutely run. I say that to anyone who will listen. I'm probably giving horrible medical advice. Again, (laughs) I have dealt with this for more than half my life. I know my body really well. I know when I can push through it and when I can't. Sometimes I don't always make the best decision with that. There was an incident in which I bled on the George Washington Bridge. Like, I probably should have stopped running then. Um, unrelated to my regular chronic pain, but the thing with when you're in pain all the time, you your gauge gets really off of, like, what becomes an emergency situation or a more urgent situation. So you're like, oh, this is fine. This is not any worse than I normally feel or I've dealt through worse. And meanwhile, it's like, no, you should probably take care of this. Um, So you can do it. That's my number one advice to anybody who's listening is you can absolutely run. Start at your own pace. Go at a level that works for you. But at the same time, also, and this is something I'm continuously working on getting better at and being okay with give yourself the space and grace to also know that it just really sucks sometimes. Um, And it's okay to feel that you can both be super triumphant when you PR a race or achieve some other athletic goal. And then a couple days later, be really, really pissed that it hurts you to sit in a chair. Like you can feel both. Um, And to also practice advocating for yourself um, because that's I think the hardest part of having something that people can't see and doesn't necessarily make sense because there's a lot of like well how bad could it be you're running five days a week and it's like oh let me tell you and just being able to just be 
nice to yourself in situations like that where you do have to, you know, explain yourself or advocate for yourself with healthcare professionals, with people in your life, to know that it's okay to tell people that they've crossed a boundary and they're wrong and they shouldn't give you unsolicited advice, for example. And then also to just be nice to yourself afterward because those situations are hard. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you sharing that advice. And I i mean, I cannot imagine what it is like to wake up every day and either be in pain or know that at some point you will be in pain. So I just I commend you for not only handling that, but also, you know, having a really great life in spite of it and having your own business and uh, running marathons. So I just think that's that's so important and not easy. So I, I bow down to you. Oh, thank you. I give you a lot of credit, too. There have been definitely times I have looked at your Instagram for inspiration and be like, well, okay, I'm stopping like every half a mile to, you know, like poke myself in the glute to loosen it. But at least I'm not in the bathroom. (laughs) Well, and isn't it funny how we look at it so differently, though? Because I'm like, yeah, but my flares come and go. And when I'm not sick, I can run without having to do that. So I think, you know, it's all a funny perspective. And look at the last time when I was on your podcast, I didn't even make it through. I had to run halfway in between and use the bathroom. So that's you know. funny because today is the day I had to straddle railings in Central yeah, Park. So, we're oh, you know, it. cool. <laughs> awesome. Go team. All right. Well, then let's sprint to the finish. I think now's a good time to do that. And um, hopefully we both, uh, you know, we're, we're at the finish and we've both made it through so far. So yes. it's a good omen. All right. You ready? Absolutely. What would your last meal on earth be? This is so hard because I really love food. And so my take is if it's my last meal on earth, I am eating until I literally explode. So I'm eating everything on the menu from Nobu 57. I'm going up to Arthur Avenue in the Bronx and eating all of the Italian food. I'm having banana pudding from Magnolia Bakery. Mm. I'm having Levain cookie. I am going to Flushing and eating all the Chinese food. Essentially, I'm wandering around New York City and eating until I die because it's my last meal on earth. Yeah, that's how you're going to go. You're going to death by fullness. (laughs) Yes. Well, good choices, though. What's your favorite movie? So my disclaimer is that I'm not a movie person and I have not regularly seen movies at all. But as good as it gets is a movie I watched when I was, you know, like it was 20 years ago and it is still my favorite movie to this day out of the like five movies I like. What about favorite TV show? Frasier. Favorite race you've ever done? You've done 150, uh, you've done like 149. So what's your favorite one? Oh, so this is really hard. It's either any New York City half or any New York City marathon. I can't decide which one I love the most. The New York City half is my first half. And the marathon is obviously the marathon. The marathon. Yeah. Where's your favorite place you've ever gone for a run? I'm very loyal to my Central Park, but I recently ran in Burlington, Vermont. <gasps> On the waterfront? It, yes. Love that. I have to say, one second I'm in a city park waterfront, and the next second I'm in the woods. The woods? Yeah. I know. I've had to use those woods as a bathroom before. Oh. I don't know why I'm announcing that. Um, I love that run. I, I yeah. love, love, love it. We used to go up there every summer. And so, yeah, that's a great answer. And the first time anyone has used that answer on this show. So, well done. I didn't know that place existed until we did a surprise trip there. Oh, so, so nice. And you're like, oh, cool. There's Canada. Like, where yeah. am I? Right. Love it. Do you have a go-to mantra for races or tough workouts? Find a way. Love it. Uh, it's after a book recommendation for everybody. Diana Nyad, who swam <gasps> from Cuba to Florida. 
um, like people do. That's the title of her book. And I was just so inspired by that idea of like, you, you figure it out, find a way. Love it. What is the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Turn on New York one. Okay. That's a good one. What's, what's the last thing you do before you close your eyes at night? Hug my husband goodnight and watch Golden Girls until I fall asleep. (laughs) Favorite running workout? Oh, I really like the long run. I don't do well when I have pressure to run a certain pace. Like, just let me be and I'll, you know, end up probably going much faster than I'm supposed to. Yeah. (laughs) So the long run feels very chill. I like that. What is your go-to breakfast? Oh, bagels. I would eat a bagel every day if there was any type of nutritional value in bagels every day. You can cut it in half and put like some kale in between it, like a sandwich. Interesting. Kale bagel sandwich. I'll have to try that. I think it sounds gross, but I'm not (laughs) looking for nutrition in my bagels. (laughs) I'm looking for some smoked salmon and and, uh, scallion cream cheese, but you do you. (laughs) Yeah. Lox is much better than kale. Who was your childhood celebrity crush? Derek Jeter, and I haven't outgrown it. Where did you have your first real kiss? So this is going to sound much more scandalous than it actually is, but in a hot tub (gasps) outside. How in any way is that not scandalous? Because it really wasn't. It was like my best friend turned boyfriend and we lived in the same apartment complex and we went swimming. Naked? (laughs) No, it was very, it was very pure and innocent and lovely. (laughs) Not the way I'm imagining it, but good for you. (laughs) <laughs> if you could go for a run with anyone, who would it be? Oh, this is hard. So probably Derek Jeter, um, Meb, Shalane, Lauren Fleshman, um, or something that the, is not like the others, Pat Kiernan from New York One. <laughs> when you said New York One, I was going to say waking up with Pat Kiernan, but I was I like, I love Pat Kiernan. Everyone um, does. And all the New York One anchors. Like, I just, I I am, you know, those old people who sit and watch Fox News all day long? No. Yeah. I mean, I don't personally. I hear they exist. But, like, my husband made that comment once where he, like, laughed. And he's like, this is like your Fox News. And I'm like, cool. What one word do you want to be remembered by? Passionate. Tell me three things you love about yourself. I love that I'm persistent slash stubborn. Um, I love that I'm loyal to friends, family, and things that I love. And I love that I'm empathetic to people. Great ones. All right. So normally, the last thing that I ask people to do on this show is give everyone listening a reason to run today. I want to change it up a little bit if I can. I would love for you to give everyone listening a reason to consider therapy today. (gasps) Yes. Um, Because it will it will help you. It's for everyone. It's not just when you're in crisis, it helps you avoid crisis and you will feel better. It will make your life better. So do it. Find somebody that works for you and you have good rapport with and go. It's a totally, it's totally worth it. It's an investment in you and you deserve it. I love it. Rachel, thank you so much for being here. I love that answer. I think that's such a good way to end this. And I just wish you, I wish pain-free days, hours, minutes for you. And I'm super inspired by your running and, and keep it up. You're doing great. Oh, thank you. And same to you. I wish you many runs without bathroom breaks. (laughs) Thank you so very much for tuning into this episode of the Alley on the Run show. And of course, big thanks to Rachel for spending this past hour with all of us. 
If you're enjoying the show, the very best way to support my work here is by sharing it with someone. Tell a friend, a loved one, a member of your running group, tell them about the show. Share your favorite episode on social media and tag me so we can connect. I'm Allie on the Run 1 on Instagram and Twitter, and I'm on the Allie on the Run Facebook page. And if you want to do something really special, I would love to hear from you in the form of a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Take a second and let me know what you're loving. Of course, thank you so much to everyone who has already rated and reviewed the show. I love you. I am grateful for you. I'm also grateful for Aftershock. So let's give it up for our wonderful sponsor for making this episode possible and for making the very best wireless headphones for runners. Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com for $50 off your pair. Have a beautiful day. Take care of yourself. And thanks for joining me on the run.